Well, you guys, you're going to get your favorite sermon again, which is about relationships, because I'm on a relationship, what do you call it, a gag? Jag. I thought you said gag. That's not right. I'm on a relationship jag. That's a good way to put it. But what I've learned recently, what I felt like the Lord has told me recently is that um, sometimes you learn and incorporate things through practice and repetition. If you ever, you know, like when you're learning to play the piano or you're learning to, um, you're learning music or you're, you're trying to accomplish something, if you're a runner, you always ha- you have, to re- you have to have repetition and practice, repetition and practice. And so there's, um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to practice till we get it right. And we're going to practice it together because this is a safe place. And we're going to talk about things because this is a safe place. Um, I'm going to start us out with prayer, though, if that's okay. So just bow your heads with me. Father God, I thank you so much that you really do want us to have a ba- abundant life in the area of our relationships. This is a primary area for you. It's not secondary. It's not um, third or fourth. It is really a primary area in which you want us to be whole and abundant. And so, God, I just pray that we would grab hold of this and implement it in our lives, Lord, and do our relationships better and better and better so that we are so fulfilled by what we have in our lives, God, that we can just look to you and say thank you so much for this. And, and we can teach the people around us and model it to the people around us, and we be life to the people around us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Chris and I were watching a movie last night, Molly's Game. Have any of you heard that? Well, you know that I've started to play poker recently, which I love. I really do love it. And Chris, you love it too, don't you? Yeah, she played it one time with me. It's, um, it's a really social game, which is one of the reasons I like it. It's got strategy. It's a card game. I love to play card games. It's just fun. So we are watching uh, Molly's Game. Molly's Game is a semi-biographical movie on um, a woman named Molly Bloom. She, was a, um, she grew up here in Colorado. She was one of three children. Um, her father was a psychiatrist or therapist or something, and he was really driven, and he really um, pushed his children to excel. She was an Olympic hopeful. She was, I think, fourth skier, yeah, fourth in the country maybe or third in the country. Her, her brother is Jeremy Bloom. He plays for the Eagles. He played for the Eagles. Played for the Eagles. Her other brother. He was, uh, he was number one Olympic. hmm and, play, and then uh, plays for or played for the Eagles, and her other brother is like a, some kind of surgeon or something. So she grew up with a lot of pressure on her and a lot of um, – a lot of expectation to perform and to do well. And so the whole movie is about her running a poker game in Hollywood and in New York and her eventual collapse of that. Um, but there's a scene in the movie where she's, um, she's ice skating and she's going to, she's in between her lawyer's visits and they're trying to figure out if they can cut a deal with the government if she's going to go to jail, basically. And she had written a book called Molly's Game where she kind of um, r- told about her experience and she, um, revealed some names, not all of them, but some of the celebrities that were at her poker game. And um, at this ice skating thing she's at, she unexpectedly runs it. She's in New York City. Unexpectedly, her dad shows up. And she's been somewhat estranged with him from him for a long time because he was um, he divorced her mother. He uh, was unfaithful to her mother. And he was so harsh and, and so driven and, and uh, 
somewhat disconnected from her as a child. She really felt not close to him. And here he showed up at this um, ice skating rink, kind of in the nick of time, so to speak, right, when she was having this really um, didn't know what was going to happen with her future. She could go to jail, blah, blah, blah. And he sits her down, and, he says, and he's a therapist, which just cracks me up because he's so not good with his own daughter, you know, like the blind leading the blind or something, you know. And so he sits her down, and he says, I'm going to do three years of therapy in three minutes. And he goes through this progression of trying to connect with her in three minutes. And, you know, as the way Hollywood does it, of course, in the end, they're, they're somewhat connected, and they have some kind of a reconciliation. And I, and I told Chris, I said, this is so good and so wrong. It is so wrong to, to even um, put forward that your relationship can be repaired in three minutes from a lifetime of damage and disconnection and whatever. At the same time, I'm glad they had some scene in there of reconciliation between the dad and the daughter, right? I'm glad that there was an attempt. But the thing that bothers me is that I feel like most of society, including myself, we tend to watch television, see what's portrayed in television, and think that's real life or think that's the way that relationships should or could work. And it's so wrong. It's not correct at all. Many times, really solid relationships take years and years and years of repetition and practice, repetition and practice, repetition and practice to get it right, to have abundance, to get to a place that is super fruitful. It doesn't happen overnight. And so I thought, you know what, we're going to talk about this again because this is important for us. I want, I want to communicate a message that is we, we get to do relationships really well. That's our heritage from the Lord. The Lord has come to repair and restore, and our relationships get to be part of that. We don't have to put up with um, bad or unfruitful or... Um, unfulfilling relationship that's not it's we don't have to settle for just good enough we don't have to do that God's more than good enough he's the God of abundance and restoration and more than we can ever dream hope or imagine that's who our God is and when we settle for good enough on our relationships and we settle for we put the bar so low and God's like oh I've got so much for you but you're gonna have to partner with me to do some things that maybe you're not comfortable doing you don't know what you should do you might need some coaching or partnership and you might need some healing and I'll help you do all that but don't set your bar so low that you're settling for a life God's got so much more for us in the area of relationships but we got to partner with him to do it all right and so that's the gist of my message, all right? Yeah, that was short, wasn't it? I believe that relationship, you know, you guys have heard of EQ and IQ. IQ is, um, is um, intelligence, and EQ is emotional intelligence, so to speak. Knowing how to um, relate to people in a way that's natural and you don't have to work at it. I believe that we, that there are some people that do relationships more naturally than others, absolutely, in the way that some people can, you know, do math better than others, right? We all are gifted in different areas. It doesn't mean we can't learn to do math and balance a checkbook. It also doesn't mean we can't learn to do relationships. It is a learned skill. Some people may have a better aptitude, and they may know more from the get-go naturally, 
but we can all learn the skill that we need to have good relationships. And so I encourage us to all get a hold of this, whether we have EQ or not. You know, there's a lot of different levels of relationships. One thing that, um, that Danny Silk talks about is that there's different rings of relationships. So you can have what I call the hot lava core. That's your inner circle of friends or relatives that really support you. Jesus had a hot lava core. He had three friends that were his primary go-to people. Do you guys know who they were? Who were they, Bob? That's right. And then he had 12 which is more of an extended group of people. Then he had 70, and then he had more than that, right? We can have the same thing. We have hot lava core people. These are the people that we can go to with anything. We can, we can expose our deepest, darkest fears to them. We can say, man, this is what, this is, I, don't sh- I haven't shared this with anybody. And the people in our hot lava core, they're the ones that will take a bullet for us. They'll lie for us. Sometimes. Depends, right? Um, we don't have to have, everybody's not in our hot lava core, right? We need to have discernment who we can trust to be in our hot lava core and who is not. Because you give different things to different levels of your acquaintances. You don't have to give to the person way out in the far out ring the same as you would give to the person who's in your hot lava core. Because with closeness comes responsibility, okay? With the closeness of your commitment also comes a responsibility to that relationship and if you're not willing to do that relationship you push him out to another ring so to speak one thing I like that Danny Silk says and this is so good he's one of my favorite guys because this is what he says his life is about connection we've talked about how life is about relationships that's connection how do we stay connected with people and sometimes we can't be connected with people that we want in our hot lava core or we want in our extended family circle. We can't because of their choice or because of unresolved issues or estrangement or things that we need to work on, but we can hold the door open for them. We can save their seat. We can say, the table is set for you and I'm ready. When you're ready, we can work on this relationship. And as Christians, I think that's a really good tension for us to hold because we don't always get to have the relationships we want in life do we life's not that way because you know what god made us to be people of free will and if we're people of free will we also get to say i don't want to be in relationship with you for x y or z reason and that can be really hard but we can always as christians say you know what i'll be here if you ever want to talk about it i'll be here if you want restoration and i'm willing to work on it i'm not going to shut the door because God doesn't shut the door on us, you guys. God never shuts the door on us. He says, I'm here. I'm the prodigal father. I'm here. I'm waiting for you, and I'm looking for you. And when you're ready, I'll be here to do the hard work of restoration. And I think that's a really good model for us. We don't have to let everyone be in our hot lava core, but, or even in our extended family or whatever, but we can hold connection with people, right? I think, I think Danny Silk does a really good job with that. Hot lava core relationships, if you haven't already figured this out, are the closest relationships you have. Now, here's the thing, you guys. Sometimes they're your family member and sometimes they're not. What is the saying? You can pick your nose, but you can't pick your family. Isn't that gross? Yeah. But you understand what I'm saying. 
<laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> what'd you say? <laughs> Do you like that image? <laughs> the point being, especially when it comes to like your kids, your mom or dad or whatever, you don't have any choice in your relationship with them. You were born to them. You were born into the relationship. You didn't get to choose it. Now, your spouse is a different story. We get to choose our spouse, right? We should have. I mean, unless you have an arranged marriage, and maybe some people do, and those apparently are very successful, which goes, again, to the point of you can have good relationships if you choose it. Most of us in America, we choose our spouses. We're not usually unwillingly linked to our spouse. You would think that our spouse would be in our hot lava core because of that, right? But not always. Am I right? Sometimes they're, they're way out for different reasons that we're going to get into. But there are people in our hot lava core that are, again, what are the characteristics? They're people that have a deep commitment to you. They're people that, who will literally step in front of a train for you. They love you as much as they love themselves. They accept you flaws and all, knowing that we are all in process. Here's my favorite one of a hot lava core. They're loyal and they're faithful. They stick with you through thick and thin. They see the bad, the good, the ugly, and they say, I'm with you. I'm team Lori. I'm team Bob. I'm team Chris. I'm team Janet. You are on their team and they're on yours. The other aspect of hot lava core is there's a really high level of safety. You can tell them things that maybe you're ashamed of or you've suffered through, maybe the secrets of your past, but you feel safe to tell them what's going on inside of you. That's a hot lava core relationship. They don't manipulate you with fear, pain, or punishment. They don't manipulate you with fear, pain, or punishment because that's not their aim. You know, the example that we have of this in the Bible is the story of Jonathan and David. You guys familiar with this story? King Saul, nod your heads. Yeah, okay. So um, I'll refresh it for you. Saul is <clears throat> anointed by God to be the king over the Israelites because they're like, we want a king. We want to be like other countries. We need a king. So God says, okay, here you go. You can have Saul. Well, Saul doesn't work out because he's not, in the end, a godly man. So God has to say, well, we've got to go to plan our next plan, which is going to be David. Samuel, go out, anoint David. David's going to be the new man. David comes. This is the time during Goliath. Remember the battle between David and Goliath? So David shows up for the battle between Goliath, uh, the, the Philistines and Goliath are fighting the Israelites. And David shows up, and he um, slays Goliath. And he goes into the tent of Saul. And this is the first time him and Jonathan meet. Now, Jonathan is the son, the firstborn son of Saul. He's the rightful heir to the throne. But God has skipped over him and anointed David. When Jonathan first saw David, and we think, scholars think there's at least a 10-year age difference between the two of them. So it's, I always thought they were like, you know, best friends, like BFFs kind of thing. That's not necessarily so. There, he might have been, Jonathan was at least 40, maybe 50. And he's the oldest son of Saul. This is what, um, this is what the Bible records. 
After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. That's 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4. Then later on, it says, So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath of, out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. This is a picture in the Bible. Now, a lot of people try to, try to construe this in a way that I don't believe is biblical. They try to say this is an example of a homosexual relationship between Jonathan and David. I think that's really reaching right here. What I think this is a really good example of, you can have a relationship with a person who's not necessarily in your family, that God has knit you together in a relationship that's a hot lava core relationship where you say, you know what, I see the hand of God in your life, and I know that God has put us together so that we can um, hold each other up. We can protect each other. We can support and encourage each other. This is an example, I believe, in the Bible of that kind of a relationship. And I just want you to know, when Jonathan handed over his belt and his sword and his robe and all that, scholars are saying that Jonathan was saying to David, you are the anointed one, and I pass over to you all that is coming to me, I give to you. That's what, that's what scholars believe there, because Jonathan so recognized that David was chosen by God to be the next king. I think that's super cool. Because one of the aspects of somebody who has your back is somebody who's not jealous of you. Someone who doesn't compete with you. Someone who doesn't say, well, if you have something good, that means I have something bad. They're, they're hot lava core relationships say, you know what, God can bless you and he can bless me. Praise God. I'm glad, I'm glad he's blessing you right now. This is an example of that going on in the Bible. Jonathan was saying, you know what, I don't know what's going to happen to my family, but I'm for your family. I'm for your family, and I'm for you. I think that's a really cool example of how we can be loyal and faithful to one another when we're called into a hot lava core relationship. <clears throat> another thing that, um, and this is hard. Nobody likes this. <laughs> These friends can be trusted to engage healthy conflict on your behalf. Now let's let that sink in for a second. They can be trusted to engage in healthy conflict on your behalf. <clears throat> in two ways. They either defend you by engaging conflict on your behalf, or they have conflict with you, or they confront you. Just because you're in the middle of conflict and confrontation doesn't mean you're not in a hot lava core relationship with that person. It simply means you love them enough to do what you're called to do. And that's really, really hard. A lot of people think that you can't, that, that, um, that as Christians we're not called to confront or have conflict with people. That it's better let's just all get along. Let's just be nice. Why can't we all be nice? You know, Jesus is nice, and God is nice, and, and we just love each other and forgive each other. And you know what? That's all really well and good, but life is messy, and we're called into the mess. And sometimes that means that we have to confront people as defenders for our hot lava core people, 
or we have to confront the people themselves. And that can be really hard. Here's an example of Jonathan. So Jonathan spoke well of David to his father Saul. He said to him, The king should not sin against his servant David, for he has not sinned against you, and what he has done for you has benefited you. He risked his life to strike down the Philistines so that Jehovah brought about a great victory for all Israel. You saw it, and you were overjoyed. So why would you sin against innocent blood and having David put to death for no reason? That's Jonathan talking to his father Saul. He's saying, what you're doing is wrong, and you need to stop. Because by this time, Saul was like, let's kill David. Everyone loves David. I'm super jealous of him. Let's kill him. And Jonathan said, no, what you're doing, Dad, is wrong. He's been chosen to be the next king. You need to line up with that. And he opposed his own father out of loyalty for David. Sometimes that's what you have to do. Other times, you have to confront the person yourself, and that's not fun either. I have a friend that I love super dearly, and um, I saw this person was doing some stuff and in a relationship that I just couldn't get behind, and I thought, Lord, what do I do? Like, I love this person. I want them to be happy, and how do I speak my heart to this person, you know? And one thing I really have come, and this is Bob. Bob, you got to love this. Stop, turn, ask the Lord, and then you do. What you're, then, you, then you act if you're called, you respond. And so I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord's impress on me was just wait. Just wait. I'm going to give you the time. I'm going to give you the open door. And the open door came where this person asked me a question which allowed me to say what I felt like I needed to say. Did I want to say it? Did it cause pain? to my friend? Yeah, I did. Did it cause that person to um, rethink a couple things? Yeah, it did. Did I want to do it? Did I want to hurt that person? I did not want to hurt that person. But I loved that person. I loved that person. So I knew I had to tell them the truth. And I knew God was calling me to tell them the truth. And here's the thing that I really believe. I believe that when we will stop, ask, turn, respond, that whole thing, and we'll do what God wants us to do even when it's really, really hard, There is fruit in that, you guys. There is fruit in obedience. We don't always see it the same day, the same week, the same month, the same year. But there is fruit in our obedience. If we will do what God has asked us to do, because our heart and our motive is out of love. It's not out of judgment. It's not out of condemnation. It's the same heart that God has towards us, right? So I think that um, if we're going to be in a hot lava core relationship, we better learn to do confrontation in a healthy way. That's hard. Healthy conflict, just so you know, (laughs) it's characterized by three things. The leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead you, guess what, into conflict sometimes. That's part of life, and he wants us to do it well. So he's going to say, I need you to have a confrontation. I need to have a conversation, this person. But the motive is going to be love. The motive is because you want to see restoration, you want to see life, you want to see destiny brought forward. That's the motivation. And, it's, and healthy conflict is characterized by healthy and positive communication. What do I mean by that? You know, we can want to have conflict but no, not know how to say it right. Not know how to communicate conflict right. One thing that we've been learning over and over and over in our marriage groups is how do you have conflict with your spouse 
in a way that doesn't put them on edge. They don't get defensive. They don't feel attacked. You, go, you learn to go in low. You learn to ask questions. You learn to say, hey, can I talk to you? Is there a way that and it doesn't come across like you're accusing them or judging them or being critical? It simply says, I need to have this conversation, and I love you enough that I'm going to do this. If you can do confrontation those three, three ways, I guarantee you you're going to have fruit from that. If you can't do e any of those three things, you need to stop. All right? If you want to confront somebody because you're angry, you need to stop. You need to stop right then and ask the Holy Spirit, does my anger have a place in this? You need to stop. If you can't speak out of humility and love, you need to stop. You need to stop and wait until you can. Maybe that's a day or maybe it's a week. I don't know what it is for you. But if you can't use words in your confrontation that aren't positive and full of humility, then you don't get to say it. Yes or no? Yes? Anybody? No? I've already talked about hot lava core friends are not jealous. They don't one-up you. There's no I win, you lose dynamic. No passive aggressiveness. And here's the thing. Here's my real point, or one of my real points. Even though we can't pick our family, hot lava core relationships should be a hallmark of our family relationships. Doesn't mean that they're going to be a hot lava core. Because we can't control our kids or, you know, our mom or dad or our relatives or anything like that. But there's one relationship that I really believe God wants to have a hot lava, have us have a hot lava relationship with, and that's our spouse. Our spouse. I believe that that's the most fruitful and intimate relationship we can have is with our spouse in a hot lava core relationship where there's no competition between the two of you. There's no, I'm right, you're wrong. Where we can go to our spouse and we can say, man, I feel so bad about X, Y, or Z. And that person can say, oh, I accept you. I understand that. What a bummer. How can I pray for you? So many times it doesn't happen with our spouse or our family, especially in our kids, because we've been too authoritative or authoritarian growing up. It's hard with, it's hard with your kids because your relationship changes. It starts out one way and then it changes as, you, as they grow older to more of a friendship, coach kind of thing. But the reality is sometimes we've been too harsh with our kids and they don't trust us, and they don't feel safe with us. And so having a hot lava core relationship with our kids is really hard sometimes if we haven't built the foundation. Am I right? Thank you, Bob. I love you for saying that. <laughs> One of the big struggles in marriage is competition. I don't mean competition like, oh, we're running a race and who wins, like, first or second. I don't mean that. When I talk about competition... Competition in a relationship usually means I'm right, you're wrong. I'm a winner, you're a loser. You don't know what you're talking about. That's usually what competition is in a relationship. Competition is a killer of intimacy. Because competition robs us of safety and trust. And you have to be able to have safety and trust in a relationship to share yourself with them. Otherwise, you'll just shut down. That's why so many people who don't have fulfilling spousal relationships have hot lava core relationships outside of their spouse because they're not getting it from their spouse they're not getting it from their spouse now we only jesus had three hot, hot three 
you can have your spouse and two others. I don't know. I encourage you that your spouse, you, you make a goal. You, and again, you can't, you're, you can't make your spouse be safe or not competitive. You can't do that. You can't control other people. But you can be those things. But you can model it. This is one thing I want to say, too. Um, sometimes in a relationship with people, we're like, well, I'm not going to do that because they're not going to do that. Why would I do that? They don't do that. Why should I do that to them? Why should I, well, I should extend mercy to them? They don't treat me that way. I just need to give them a dose of their own medicine. Well, you know who doesn't do that to us? God doesn't give us a dose of our own medicine. And we're really not allowed to do that, you guys. That mentality, that tit-for-tat kind of mentality, that needs to go away. We're called to a higher standard of modeling Jesus to people whether they deserve it or not. Everybody, not just our spouse, everybody. We're called to a standard of behavior and modeling leadership. It's about leadership to people whether they do it or not. It's on them if they respond. We answer to God. We're to model Jesus, okay? A couple things you can do if you, don't have, um, if you don't have this kind of relationship with your kids or your spouse, like maybe you want to, you can ask the Holy Spirit a couple questions. Say, Holy Spirit, in what ways do I engage with un- unhealthy competition? Please let me know. Do I always have to be right? Do I pursue healthy conflict? That's a question. Do I shy away from conflict? Do I avoid conflict because I'm scared of it? Or do I pursue healthy conflict? That's a weird, weird thing to hear, isn't it? That we should pursue healthy conflict. I'm here to tell you, you need to pursue healthy conflict. The word being healthy. The emphasis on healthy. It's healthy conflict that grows strong relationships. Am I an avoider? Am I an encourager? Do I illuminate the best in people and speak to them about their destiny? Do I talk to people about their destiny, or do I tell them what they're doing wrong? Do I correct them, or do I encourage them? Do I bring negativity into their life, or do I tell them about the positive things of God? Who am I? Who am I, Lord? Do I implement punishment as a way to control people? Now, let me tell you, most of us have experienced punishment in our life. Is that true? Did any of you here punish your kids when they were growing up? Yeah, that's pretty much our, um, our model for doing life. And that's one thing that we're going to talk about going forward is that, guess what? This side of the cross, this side of the cross, we're in a no punishment zone. Now, I didn't say we're in a no timeout zone or no discipline zone, but I said we're in a no punishment zone. This side of the cross, we're in a no punishment zone. We're going to learn about what does it mean to live as no punishment people. As what does it mean to live in a relationship as people who do not implement punishment to manipulate and control the people around us. That's a paradigm shift, and we're going to get a hold of it coming up. So we've talked about hot hot level core relationships with our spouse, with our kids. Who's the other person in our life that we really need to have a hot level core relationship with? Pardon me? God. Believe it or not, God 
wants to have a hot lava core relationship with us. That's his number one desire, is to have that kind of intimate relationship with us. But we often shy away from it because for us, I think I'll speak for myself, it's hard to see God as king and friend. Am I right? And yet the Bible supports that we are, can be friends of God. Abraham was a friend of God. Moses was, called, was a friend of God. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Sometimes we can't think of God as a friend because we think, again, going back to um, punishment, we're stuck in the Old Testament way of living. Old, the Old Testament paradigm is that when our sins, when we committed sins, they were covered by blood and they were also cast away. When the, um, in the Old Testament, when the high priest would make atonement for Israel, he would slaughter an animal on the altar. That was the, the covering, the blood covering for our sin. And then he would take a goat, a scapegoat, and he would say ceremonially, I place all the sins of Israel on the goat, and he would send the goat out of the camp. It's the idea that our sins are covered and sent away. But in the Old Testament, it was, it was every year, every year, every year, every year, right? That was the ongoing thing of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus was the blood atonement, and he sent our sins away. And so the reality is, the paradigm of the Old Testament no longer exists for us. We live in a New Testament reality. Our sins, and this is hard to get a hold of because we're still sinners, right? We haven't stopped. I mean, who here stopped sinning? Anybody? Anybody here stopped sinning? Once, okay. <laughs> the reality is our, it's hard for us to understand that we have achieved and yet we're still achieving, right? We've obtained, but we're still obtaining it. And that's the thing that's hard for us to get a hold of. We have been forgiven and are continuing to be forgiven because of our sins. But we exist in this, this New Testament paradigm of no longer in a punishment relationship with God. We are now in a forgiveness relationship with God. Um, one thing, Danny Sills got this book out called... Um, unpunished or unpunishable, something like that. It's really good. He talks about the deception of sin. What happened with, it, remember in the garden when um, Adam and Eve sinned and they got all freaked out and ashamed and they made the little fig leaves and um, were scared of God because they had an, a daily appointment where Adam and Eve, or at least Adam, walked with God in the, the garden. That was a daily occurrence. So when they sinned, they're like, oh my gosh, I've got a quick sew up some fig leaves because I'm naked. And, and so God's calling for them, like, where are you? Where are you? And they're like, we're over here. We hid from you because we're naked. And God said to them, who told you you were naked? See, sin told them they were naked. God didn't say, oh, by the way, you're naked. Cover yourself. It was sin who told them they were naked. That's what sin does to us. Sin tells us, you're bad, you're a loser, you're not worthy, how can God love you? God doesn't tell us those things, sin 
tells us those things. And then we remove ourselves from the presence of God because we're listening to the voice of sin. When we live in the New Testament, reality, we don't ever listen to the voice of sin anymore. We only listen to the voice of our God who says, where are you? I want to be with you. What? You did something wrong? Let's you and me talk about that, but let's go hang out together. Let's you and me hang out together. I want connection with you. I chose you, and I want connection with you. That's what God says in the New Testament reality. We, our response to that is, Lord, help us to live in a New Testament reality and set aside the punishment paradigm. That is not, that is not for us anymore. We are friends of God. God wants to be a hot lava core friend to us, one that we can trust, one that is safe, one that doesn't emphasize him being right, us being wrong. That's not his, that's not his heart. He wants us to trust him. I'm going to um, wrap it up with this video. This video I picked out before I did my sermon, so there's a very loose connection. But I love this video. This video... Um, this video is very encouraging to me because I believe this helps us understand who God is to us and what he wants us to remember about who he is to us. This is Priscilla Shire. I love her so much. You feel like you can't handle the task at hand and you ask yourself, girl, who's your daddy? Because I remember when Jerry said that to me and I, I got a good look at him, I felt secure, I felt taken care of, not because of me, but because of who I belong to. And what if when you got a good look at your God, remembering who he is and that you belong to him. Listen, I think until the Lord uh, stops me from taking platforms and ministering to women, I will say this until the day that I die, reminding myself as I do when I am quietly alone and I look myself in the mirror and say girl who's your daddy you know what I tell myself I tell myself he is the first and the last the beginning and the end he's the keeper of creation and the creator of all he's the architect of the universe and the manager of all time he always was always is always will be unmoved unchanged undefeated and never undone he was bruised but brought healing he was pierced but eased pain he was persecuted but brought freedom. He was dead and brings life. He has risen to bring power and he reigns to bring peace. The world can't understand him. Armies can't defeat him. Schools can't explain him and leaders, they can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. Nero couldn't crush him. The new age cannot replace him. And Oprah cannot explain him away. She can't. She can't do it. You remind yourself that He is light, He is love, He is longevity, and He is the Lord. He is goodness and kindness and faithfulness, and He is God. He is holy and righteous and powerful and pure. His ways are right, His word eternal, His will unchanging, and His mind is on us. He's our Savior, our guide, our peace, our joy, our comfort, our Lord, and He rules our lives. I serve Him because His bond is love, His yoke is easy, His burden is light, and His goal for us is abundant life. I follow him because he's the wisdom of the wise, the power of the powerful, the ancient of days, the ruler of rulers, the leader of all leaders. 
His goal is a relationship with me. He'll never leave you, never forsake you, never mislead you, never forget you, never overlook you, and never cancel your appointment in his appointment book. Never. When you fall, he'll lift you up. When you fail, he'll forgive you. When you're weak, he's strong. When you're lost, he's your way. When you're afraid, he's your courage. When you stumble, he will steady you. When you're hurt, he's gonna heal you. When he's broken, when you're broken, he will mend you. When you're blind, he will lead you. When you're hungry, he will feed you. When you face trials, he's with you. When I face persecution, he shields me. When I face problems, he will comfort me. When I face loss, he will provide for me. And when we face death, he will carry us all home to meet him. He is everything for everybody, everywhere, every time, and in every way. He is your God, and that, sisters, is who you belong to. I just want to close with that. Is that okay? I'm just going to pray us done, pray us out. Lord, I just thank you, God. You are the real deal, and your, relation, your goal is relationship with us. Your goal is intimate, deep, hot lava core relationship with us, and you are worthy, and you can be trusted, and you're safe, and you are all those things. You are a God who loves us and will lift us to our destiny, lift us to the potential that you have created us with, God. We thank you. We say yes and amen to all that you have for us. Lord, have your way in our lives. We love you. We agree with you. We will partner with you. Thank you for choosing us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.